On the Pasuk in our parsha where it says, and a new king arose in Mitzrayim that did not know Yosef. So Rashi tells, uh, uh, quotes the words, Melech a new king arose, and he says, Rav Shmuel. There is a machlegis between Rav and Shmuel. One says that he was literally a new king, and one says that it was only a new, he had made new gzeris. He had a new policy of governing with full of decrees against the Jewish people. So as we know that whenever Rashi brings two explanations and one is before the other, it's because he considers the first one to be closer to the Pshudosh Mikra, and here too, it's also so. Because simply said, Chodosh, a new king, means a new king. So not to say that, that he has new decrees, that what's, that's what make it, makes him new. So therefore, a literally new king makes more sense than Pshudosh Mikra. Also, according to the second shot, you have to say, that the, when the Pasuk says he didn't know Yosef what it means is he pretended not to know Yosef because if it's the same king so then he knew Yosef so then, it's, then you have to mis- reinterpret the words that he didn't know Yosef as he pretended not to know as to the question of why Rashi tells us who the people who that it was Rav and Shmuel which we know the, the general explanation that Rashi only tells us who they are if it lends some sort of an insight into what the the two pshatim are, so we have to understand what it is, and that is by first explaining that even though the, the Gemara doesn't tell us which one said what, it just says one said this way and one said that way, without telling us what Rav said and what Shmuel said. But we assume that the first name, which is Rav, is the one that said the first pshat, which is Chodesh Mamish, and the second name Shmuel is the one that said. Um, so we find in between Rab and Shmuel on the interpretations of words in the Pesukim that the Gemara brings and we see what emerges is that they each go in a certain direction throughout all of their and each one has an opinion which is based on what his world outlook is as we'll explain now there's a Pesuk that Yosef came to the house to do his work it's, it's, so there's a machlekes between Rav and Shmuel, one says he came literally to do his work the other one says no he came to be with uh, with Paitifer's wife this is in the context of the story that he came home and there was nobody else home and then she tried to proposition him and he had to run away and he left his garment there she grabbed onto it and, and the, as the story continues so the machlegis between Rav and Shmuel is do we look at the word do we interpret the word or do we look more at the context of what does the context of the story tell so let's look at this one if you look at the word to do his work means to do his work it doesn't mean something else it doesn't mean to be with the, the master's wife but when you look at the context where the Torah says and there was nobody else home so then the question becomes, why does the Torah tell us that there was nobody else home right after it says that he came to do his work? So this, he came to do something which required that nobody else should be home. In other words, that, that's why Shmuel says, we look at the context, it means he wasn't coming to do work. For that, you don't need nobody to be home. He came to do something which required that nobody else should be home. In fact since he already knew what she had in mind because the Torah tells us before that she had propositioned him many times so then why did he come home at a time when nobody else was home 
he shouldn't have come home at a time like that unless that was his intent another example in the Megillah it says Kush. so there's a machlegis between Rabbi Shmuel one says that Haidu is at one end of the world and Kush is at the other they're very far from each other and he was king over all of those provinces in between Haidu and Kush the other one says, Haidu and Kush are very close to each other. What it means to tell us is that just like he, he easily dominated Haidu and Kush, which are close by, so also he dominated all those other 127 provinces with the same ease because he was a powerful king. That's what it's trying to say. So the same Achloikis. Raf says that it says, Mahidu at Kush, from Haidu till Kush. That means that there is a space in between them meaning to say that they're far from each other. Shmuel says, look at the context. The, the Megillah already tells us that it's 127 provinces. So why does he have to tell us, Kush? Therefore it's telling us now that you know that he dominated, he ruled over 127 provinces, it's telling you about his power and ability to be able to dominate them. That just as he did Haidu and Kush with ease, so also he dominated all the other ones with ease. Another machlegis in the Gemara that we find is Vayokum Melech, uh, sorry, Vayibemei Amrafel, and it happened in the time of Amrafel. So Rav Shmuel argue about this. One say that one says Rav says that Nimrod was his name, and he was called Amrafel because he said to throw Avram into the to the fiery furnace. The other one says that his name was really Amrafel. Why was he called Nimrod? because he caused the entire world to rebel, he tried to get the whole world to rebel against Hashem which is the meaning of the word Nimrod it means to rebel so if we look at the, the words it says in the Pasig in Parshanayach Kush Yoladis Nimrod Kush fathered Nimrod he was his father so when a father gives a name to a baby, you don't need an excuse you don't need a, a reason why he gave a name he gave a name then when the Torah renames him Amrafel, so you have to know what is the reason that he's suddenly called by another name. So from the words, it seems that his name was Nimrod, and the later when his name shows up as Amrafel, there is a reason why he was called Amrafel. But when you look at the context, right after it says that Cush gave a name to his son Nimrod, it goes on to say that he was a mighty warrior and a mighty hunter before Hashem. Meaning to say, what does before Hashem mean? It means that he caused the world to rebel against Hashem. So since the Torah, right where it gives him, an, right where it talks about Nimrod, immediately tells us what his name means, that he was there to cause everybody to rebel against Hashem. In other words, from the context, it seems that his name wasn't Nimrod. There is a reason why he was called Nimrod. His real name was Amraphel. And there was a reason why he was called Nimrod. Why, by Amraphel, when the Torah talks about Amraphel, doesn't tell us anything about him. It doesn't say that he threw Avram into the furnace. In other words, Amraphel needs no explanation because that was his name. Nimrod, the Torah gives us a whole explanation about why he was called Nimrod. Another example is Ma'aras Machpelah, the double cave, where, uh, you know, the Ma'aras Machpelah doesn't need an explanation. So Rabbi Shmuel said, uh, one said that it was two rooms, one in front, one inside the other, and the other one says that it was a, ha- a room and then a second room on top of it. 
So according to the one that says it was two rooms, one inside the other, why is it called a double cave? Because it was double in, in graves. There were sets of graves there where you could bury four couples. So the doubleness of it is that it was double graves inside. So when you look at the words, a double cave, to say that a cave that has one, uh, you know, the, if you look in the side of a mountain, you see one cave, and then you see another cave on top of it, nobody would call that a double cave. That is common in where caves are, that there are many caves, one next to each other, one on top of each other. So what makes it in the word, a double cave, is more about that there were room in there, it was set up in a way that you could bury multiple couples or couples together and many of them at the same time. But when you look at the context of, of Avram's story with the Ma'aras with HaMachpela, he's pleading with the Bnei Ches, please sell me the cave, I need to bury, he has to bury Sarah, he needs a place to bury her. So what does he say? Give me the double cave. If you want to say that the reason that it's a double cave is because there's room for eight people to be buried there, why is he pleading to get a place for eight graves when all he needs is one? So therefore, it's difficult to say from the context that he was asking for a cave which could have multiple graves in it. Therefore, it makes more sense to say that it was a feature of the, the, the cave itself, that it was a room one on top of the other, and so on. That's why it was called double. And the same could be explained in our case too, in Vayakam Melechadosh. Because you could ask the question, what is the Pasuk trying to tell us here? By saying that it was a new king. The Torah, it's telling us why he decided to scheme and to enslave the Jewish people. So it said, the Jewish people multiplied and it became a great, a great amount of people. So he said to his people, we have to do something about this. Soon they'll come to go to war against us and they'll overpower us. Why does it have to say that it was a new king? The answer is that it's trying to explain how could a person who just had Yosef, Yosef saved the entire country, did so many good things for the people, he set up the economy of the country and so on. Now he comes in a, so, a, such a short time later, one generation later, he wants to enslave the people of Yosef, the family of Yosef. How could that happen? So the, the Torah tells us it was a new king, therefore he could ignore that. So to this Rashi says that here too we have a machlegis between Rav and Shmuel whether we look at the word or we, what's the meaning of a new king or do we look at the context of the story. So according to Rav you look at the words a new king means a new king. When he says he doesn't know Yosef it means he doesn't know Yosef. It's a new guy never met Yosef before. But when you look at the context even if he's a new king does he not know the history of what happened only a few years ago? Does he not know that Yosef saved the entire country? And even if, even if he doesn't know, he consulted with his people, with, his, with his, uh, the people, his citizens. Nobody there knew? Of course they knew. So what does it mean that he, uh, that he doesn't know Yosef? Therefore, we have to say anyway that he was pretending not to know. Of course he knew who he was. He never met him, but he knew of him. So he was pretending not to know Yosef. So once you have to already accept that, you can already explain that the Torah is not just merely answering a question how could he have done this because he pretended that he wasn't uh, that he, he didn't know him it's telling us something more it's trying to point out the great evil the depth of the evil that Parai had and, that he, and so therefore the Torah is not saying that it was a new king he made new Xeris which, which sort of as if he was a new king 
and he pretended not to know Yosef, that brings out his evil intent even more than if he was actually a new king. So therefore Shmuel says, from the context it seems more that it was the same king, but he was just so deeply evil that he pretended not to know him, and it's just that he was new in his Xeris, and that's it. Based on this, we can also explain another Rashi that explains in regards to the word Vayita Eshel Be'er Shava that Avram Avinu planted an Eshel in Be'er Shava. The question is, what is the meaning of an Eshel? So Rav Shmuel also argue. One says, meaning Rav says that it was an orchard that he planted in order to be able to bring fruit for the guests to offer guests for the meal. And the other one, Shmuel says that it was a, he he built a hotel in which he offered all kinds of food. And so the question is, what do you mean built a hotel? What does that mean? Planted. So Rashi says that you find the word netia in regards to pitching a tent as well. So the word planted could also mean pitching a tent. So when you look at the word, vayita, he planted. Planted means an orchard. Makes more sense in the word planted. But when you look at the context of Avram Avinu, the intent of this was in order to be able to bring the word of Hashem to people, so an orchard really doesn't do that. You make a hotel where people can spend time and you offer all kinds of food. That lends itself more to what Avram Avinu's intent was. That as the Pasuk says immediately after, that he called, he made Hashem's name known. How do you do that with an orchard? You can do it with a hotel. That's why Shmuel says that it was a hotel. Even though the word Vayita now needs to be explained because it doesn't fit so well with the context. But so he explains it too. It can be explained, not as easily as planting an orchard, but still it works. So this would work well in the Gemara, it's a nice Lushitasi. Everybody goes, Rav goes according to his view, Shmuel goes according to his view. But Rashi only brings the names Rav and Shmuel in a select few places, like in our Parsha, on our Pasuk, and two other places, but in all the other Machlegas, and that he, he quotes without naming Rav and Shmuel he doesn't say their name so therefore if the reason that he names them over here is just to bring out the Lishitase why didn't he name them in all of the places where he gives their interpretation so therefore we have to say there's something else going on which is more relevant to the few places that Rashi does quote it quote their names I mean so first explain our Pasuk when it says Vayakam Melech what he's, it would seem that what he's trying to bring out from that is to explain why they schemed against the Jewish people to enslave the Jewish people and that the reason is Vayakam Melechadosh and that, that what he's trying to what the Pasuk as a general theme is trying to bring out is that, that Paroi and his people were deeply evil and that they were scheming against the Jewish people and even according to the Pshat that says that Chadosh a new king means literally a new king. But of course he knew who Yosef was. He knew the history of what happened. So therefore the fact that even though he was a new king, it still brings out his evil intent. And even the excuse that they used that the Jewish people are becoming multiple and they may rise up against us was also not true. He knew that there was, that was not going to happen. He knew that the Jewish people were indebted to them and felt that the, the Egyptians had given them, they allowed them into the country, and that they gave them a good place to settle, the best neighborhood, Goshen, and so on. And there was no reason that they wanted to rise up against them. It was just an excuse, because they wanted to carry out an evil plan, so they made an excuse. 
So now the question at hand is, and the Machlekes of Rav Shmuel is, what brings out a deeper sense of evil about Parai and the Egyptians? Is the evilness expressed in Parai's relationship with Hashem? He rebelled against Hashem in a very deep way, or is it more about how he mistreated the Jewish people? What's the greater emphasis of the evil that the Torah is trying to bring out? And that's what Rav and Shmuel argue about. And to explain that, we first have to explain that the Gemara says that the halacha is like Rav in Isura, in ritual law. Because Rav was a more of an expert in ritual law. His interest, his, uh, his focus was on Isa Veheter. Shmuel, the halacha is like Shmuel in Mamayna, in, uh, in monetary matters, which means he had more of a focus on Bein Adam Lachaveirei in the relationship between people, which is what most monetary matters concern. Whereas most ritual law is between a person and Hashem. It doesn't concern anybody else about whether a person keeps Shabbos or each kosher and so on. So when we look at our matter, if you say that Chodosh um, Mamish means that his that it was the same king but his uh, his uh, decrees were new and that's why it's called new so then in his excuse to Hashem he could have had an excuse he could say the Jewish people came to my country they took me as their king Yaakov Avinu their leader showed me deference as the king when he came in when he went out he always showed honor to the king so therefore I am the king I have a right to run the country in the way I want I have the right to make Zairis the way I want and they have to accept it. But when you talk about his relationship with people, these are the people that helped you. Yosef was the one that saved your country. That's a terrible crime against the people that you are. So between him and Hashem, it's not as great a sin. And that's why Shmuel says, it was, not, it was the same guy. It was only Nugzeris. His sin was against the people. Even though against Hashem, he had somewhat of an excuse. But if you say, as Rav says, that it was literally a new king, so he has no excuse that Yaakov, they took him as the king, they never accepted you as the king. They came to your father or whoever, the previous king. Yaakov showed respect to the previous king. You have no excuse. But between people, at least it's not the guy that he actually, that saved his skin. It was an earlier guy, so it brings out less of an issue between people and more of an issue between the king and Hashem and that's why Rav says that that's the case same thing is true also for the Pasuk in regards to Yosef whether Malachte means Malachte Mamish or not the whole intent the, uh, the thrust of the Psukim over there is to bring out how great a tzaddik Yosef was she kept propositioning him and he said no and he was in control of the, the, the house and you know the greatness of Yosef in general the Psukim afterwards he ran away he uh, left his thing, he had to, it was dangerous, even though it was dangerous, he, he resisted. So Rav says, to bring out his great relationship with Hashem, when he came to do work, he came to do his work, the work that he was meant to do, and not that he came to do commit a sin, because that would show that he wasn't such a great tzaddik between him and Hashem. So he says, no, he didn't have any evil intent, he just came to do his work. But Shmuel says that what the Torah is trying to say, emphasize more is that he was an honest person and he accepted his responsibilities to his boss, so to speak, seriously. Therefore he says that since he came, 
that there was nobody there. So the question is, what did he come for? He, if he came to do something which required that nobody else should be there, so then why? It was only because there was nobody there that he was able to think of doing it now, because at least he wasn't violating his, you know, that he's supposed to be working now. The ein ish means there was nobody there. His work was over. He wasn't on the clock. He didn't need to do work now. That's why, at least between people, between him and his boss, he didn't violate. He didn't uh, steal from him the time that he was supposed to be working. The same with Eishel that when you talk about somebody who focuses on ben Adam Lachaveire to, to provide a hotel with a place to sleep and all kinds of food and so on, that's of course a greater favor ben Adam Lachaveire did. You're doing for the travelers. That's much greater. So Shmuel says it was a hotel. Raf says, when you talk about the gift that Avram made to Hashem, he took an example from Cain from what had been done earlier he planned that Cain offered from the fruits of the land so Avram Avinu was trying to make give a gift a carbon to Hashem he planted an orchard the orchard was a gift to Hashem in order to um, to serve Hashem by planting a an orchard it wasn't a, it's not so much about what he did for other people it was the kind of carbon that he brought to Hashem so there is a second lishitase that Rashi focuses on, which is does Rav talk? Does the is an issue to be seen from its relationship between a person and Hashem, or do we look at things between people, how it affects the relationship of the person between other with other people? The Rebbe says a lesson from this Rashi for our day and ages could be that people convince themselves, it's possible to convince yourself that we have people, friends in the government, and therefore, if the government comes out occasionally with a, uh, with a decree, with a law, that seems to go against what the Torah wants, so we have to acquiesce to their laws, we have to know that we live in Mitzrayim, and we have to sometimes make compromises, after all, they accepted us into the country, and they give us such uh, freedoms, and so on, so the Rebbe says, no, it doesn't matter if it's an old king or a new king, if they are making decrees which are like Mitzrayim, which means to oppress and suppress Yiddishkeit, then we have to reject them. And we have to behave like the, uh, like the midwives did in Mitzrayim, that they were told that they have to put the Jewish boys into the river and the Jewish girls should be left to live. What they, that means is, as it's explained many times, that they wanted to throw the Jewish boys into the river, which was the Aveda of Mitzrayim, to let them become contaminated by the Aveda of Mitzrayim, which today is the Aveda Zara of money, that we should, you have to have a, an education so you can have a job, a good job, and so on. And the girls should be left to live, means they should live and be taught to live as good Egyptian girls. That's what it means. But the uh, midwife said, no, we have to raise Jewish children, children that will be educated in the ways of Torah. And although it's true that we have to do things in a natural way and that we, should, uh, we have to try to make efforts in order to convince the government, but when we do that, it has to be done the way Moshe did it. That on the one hand, he showed honor to, to Pare as the king, but at the same time, he was holding the staff of Hashem in his hand, which means that he st- spoke with strength, he st- spoke with conviction, not in any way showing that he was subservient to Pare, certainly not to be embarrassed of his position as a Jew. And that's the way we can bring about a Geula that will be will lead to the Geula Mashiach Sitkain.